So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to redefine um, one word to another, one word that we use a lot of in our culture, and then I'm going to shift it into a word that we can actually accomplish. Uh, the word I'm going to deal with today, or the idea that I'm going to deal with today, is this idea called happiness. It's a, it's a thing that we pursue. It's a thing that we, e- even in as early as July the 2nd, 1776, you may have heard this. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, we have been ingrained in our DNA to pursue something that is not in our power to obtain. We can have moments of it. I mean, just quickly, and it it goes away because happiness is rooted in something that comes and goes. So you now can have your, your Hershey. Kiss. If you're allergic to chocolate, like you do not have to take it, okay? Like I don't want anybody going like passing out because they're deathly allergic to chocolate and they're like, man, the Lord is not going to speak to me unless I eat this chocolate. I'm going to eat it with you because I got one. I'm, you can savor yours. I have to chew mine because I have to speak in just a second. Mm. Sorry for all those that really love dark chocolate, but... I think universally milk chocolate's the best, so I hate it for you. Mm. That's good. And this, is, this may be the only thing that you remember. And that's okay. <laughs> Pastor gave me chocolate. Happiness just happened to you. Happiness is something that we, we want, and for those few minutes that you had it, you knew that it was coming, and you could be happy if you like chocolate, knowing that I'm going to get that chocolate in just a few minutes. Happiness is that moment that you put it in your mouth, and you begin to let it melt, and, and if you like chocolate, you get excited about it, but happiness, just like that piece of chocolate, leaves us when it's gone. Because happiness, in the way that I'm defining it, in the way I believe our world defines it, is something, and actually here's a definition for you, happiness, defined out of Webster's, I believe, is it says, state of well-being or contentment, and I like this B better, it says, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. Happiness, in my opinion, is an experience, whether it's personal or temporal or whatever. Like, I'm going to be happy when I get this job. I get, I'm going to be happy when I get this promotion. I'm going to be happy when I meet the, the woman, in my case, of my dreams. Man, if you're a woman. You know, I'll be happy when this happens. I'll, I'll be happy when we have our, our first kid. And I'll be happy when, you know, and you, it's always an experience. It's always a thing that once we have it, it can be taken away. Happiness. I'm going to date myself a little bit. I'm 41 years old. Not as young as your pastor. That's all right. You know, um, I, you know, he's got a little bit more gray hair, I think, than me. But just saying, 
Um, I'm 41 years old, but like if you can remember back to Christmas, like when you would get that one thing, and there was one Christmas a long time ago, for those that remember this, the Sega Genesis came out. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog was on it. I'm talking about the original, not that mess that you get on your phone nowadays. I'm talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. And I was waiting because I knew I was going to get it, you know, because my parents were really good at keeping secrets. So I knew it was coming. I knew the moment was going to happen. And that moment happened. And in that moment, like you couldn't have had a happier kid. Like I opened the box and I plugged it in and it worked and I put the game in it and the game worked also, you know, which back then it was like iffy sometimes, you know, like going back to Nintendo, you had to blow on that thing a little bit and shake it and put it back in there. Um, So you just never know with the Genesis and, and, you know, but that moment came and went, you know, because, you know, the the game only lasts so long unless you're amazing at Sonic the Hedgehog and can acquire a lot of lives. It ends really quickly. And it gets boring really quickly. And right now that Sega Genesis is acquiring space in our world in some landfill. And that happiness left. And then we move on to our next happiness. And the danger, if we're not careful, is that you will spend all of your life, even your life sanctified and saved by our Lord and Savior, chasing something that he knew from the beginning wouldn't make you happy. He knew from the beginning that that thing, once you have it, was never going to satisfy your soul. And what I want to flip that this morning is I'm going to talk about the definition for joy is a source or cause of great happiness. Something or someone that gives joy to someone. See, the difference, in my opinion, between happiness and joy is that joy comes from a source, and when we source it correctly, our our joy, happiness, cannot be taken away. When it's put in the right position, we can have something that God intended us to have from the beginning. And this morning, before I get into the Word, which I've got a few scriptures before we get there, but we're going to land in Philippians 3, 1 through 14, if you want to read along with me, it's going to be on the screen, and I'm going to be reading out of ESV, so if you're using a different translation, I apologize. But let's pray before we get into the Word. Dearly Father, it is by your grace and your mercy that we are in this room alive and breathing. And Lord, you have some purpose for us that is going to satisfy us in you. And Lord, we just declare that unless you remove our blinders, unless you remove our focus on a thing or an experience, we will chase those our entire life. And our life will be ruled by either having them or not having them. But Lord, with your word and with your purpose and with your presence, Lord, we can have what you desire for us. And it is so much more satisfying. And so, Lord, I just ask right now that you would use your word to do what it only can do, which is speak to our heart. And so, Lord, we thank you that you did not leave us alone. You did not leave us to be unaware of who you are and how you work, but you have put it here in this book. And let us have open eyes to see that. 
We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Here's the first scripture that I want to give you. It comes out of uh, Romans 14, verse 17. Going back to our chocolate a little bit. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Like what God wants to give us through the gift that He's given us in the Holy Spirit is that. And the second one in that list is joy. Joy cannot be and will not be obtained from any place else. And actually God will allow you to pursue it. I mean, if you our, our church has been reading the one-year Bible for the last two years. And I mean, if you've read the... Um, do y'all like that? Is that good? Okay. I wasn't sure if the laughter, like, you idiot, why are you? We're so all over the one-year Bible. Okay. So if you're in the one-year Bible, I mean, you see that God will allow his people to pursue whatever they want. And he'll let them be taken off and conquered by a lesser people from a lesser God. So that they would realize that their true power is in the Lord. I mean, over and over again, I I love that we can be a people that forget. But God is so merciful. And if you read the Old Testament, I think sometimes we get distracted by all the crazy. I had a guy text me from our church. He was like, I've never, I don't know if I've ever read the beheadings and all. And he went through like a list of what he's read recently. And he was like, didn't know the Bible had all that stuff. I was like, yeah, it's better than any soap opera. Um, But there's still this mercy Of God when his people cry out to him for him to rescue and redeem. This is the gift that God wants to give us. Here's a a couple of joy killers in my opinion. And these are all things that rob us from our joy on a daily basis. And you're probably going to resonate with every single one of those. First is our circumstances. I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know how it went. But I know when you walked in these doors you act like everything's okay. Because you're around church people and that's what we do. You could have fought in the car. You could have had a horrible time with your kids, getting them up and getting them dressed. And it's a miracle of God that you even arrived here this morning. You could have yelled at each other. But before you got into the parking lot, actually before you turned down this road, because you have an unspoken agreement that we wouldn't let anybody see our mess. (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. It's circumstances like, but then we walk in here and act like we have joy. When we don't, circumstances can rob us that you lose your job, you, you have something happen, you have a flat tire, you have somebody back into your car and, and leave, you have somebody do something that just robs you of your joy. Circumstances can ruin the joy that God has given us. It didn't have to, but it can. Another one is people. I don't know if you've heard this, and probably pastors have said this, you know, churches would be awesome if it wasn't for all the people that were in them including the pastor. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm not one of those. But people can rob us of our circumstances, I mean, of our joy. People can just 
we could have a great day and then someone tell you that someone else, and I'm telling you this happens in church, maybe not here, maybe just in my church, but like someone said something about you to someone else and it gets about, back around to you and it, it, you could be having a great day, but then one person's word can rob you of that. Another one is fear. Like whatever you're up against, the fear of that can rob you of the joy that God's given you in spite of his power and ability to free you from any of that. I love that if you read in the Old Testament how often God delivers in spite of the people, how often God wins the war for them in spite of them. I love just the other day, and I think it was the Syrian king, this is for free, not in my notes. He said I could have some extra time, so I'm just adding this in here. But the, I think it was the king of Assyria sent one of his guys over there, and I think it was Hezekiah. Um, and they were kind of talking trash about the, the people of Israel's God. And oh, oh, how don't let your king tell you that your God's going to deliver you. What about all these other people that we've conquered and all their other gods that we've burnt in the fire and God like killed 180,000 of them and they just like, okay, we're out of here. They didn't even lift a finger because they understood, at least the king did, that God was in charge. And here's the last one, which I almost hate using this because I think God can use it both ways. I I think the world can use it to rob you of your joy, but I think God can use it to bring you to your joy, and that is suffering. Suffering will just, I mean, I've got an aunt that's going through some stuff. Um, with her gallbladder, and I mean, she has had multiple surgeries, and she's in Chapel Hill right now, and I mean, they cannot remove uh, these gallstones out of one of her ducts, and I mean, it's, it's crazy, I mean, and suffering can rob us, whatever, we're going, whatever suffering is going on can just kill the joy that God has given us, but I believe, and if you're not there, this is for free too, James 1 and Romans 5 are a great place to go when you feel like suffering's here and God isn't. To realize that God uses suffering to make us whole and complete. So, side note. Let me give you a a little background before Philippians. Philippians is a a short book that was written. um, And in the book, Paul mentions 16 times the idea about joy. And 50 times he mentions the name of Christ in this very short book. And this book was written to a people in a city called Philippi. See, Paul, in his missionary journeys, had gone around and was proclaiming the gospel to the people. And the people were responding to the gospel and were getting saved and churches were being set up. And uh, what happened in this, and this is just not too long ago in your one-year Bible, but uh, Lydia, which is my oldest daughter, not the one I'm talking about right now, um, Lydia has an encounter with the disciples, gets saved, her whole family gets saved. Paul um, goes in preaching in the city, and this one um, girl who could tell futures and stuff, whatever, I don't know why she was following Paul around and not doing her work, but she was, and she was following Paul around and kind of, not in a bad way, but it was saying, hey, this is, the, this is the man of God, the voice of God, everybody listen. And for three days, it aggravated him enough that Paul turned around and rebuked the spirit, and it left her, and she was owned by people that used her for her gifts and talents, which just exited her body through a demon. 
And in that, they were thrown in jail. And they go in jail, and then they're sitting there, and God responds to the jail that night by shaking its foundation and opening every single door. And the jailer pulls out his sword because he feels like his people that he is in charge of have just escaped, and he's going to die anyway. So he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, wait, wait, we're all still here. Don't do that. Preaches the gospel to him. He and his family get saved. Washes him up, bandages him up. The, the people come and say, well, you can just let him go. And Paul's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm a citizen of Rome, and you can't do this. And so he shamed them for that. But the church was born out of that. This church of, of people that responded to the gospel and came together. And, and this was written to those people by Paul while he was in prison. Like, remember, this is, if you read the New Testament in the epistles, this is the joy book. And this joy book was written by a man who had his life goal to eradicate the church until Jesus knocked him off the horse. (laughs) For those that feel like you get to choose sometimes, Paul didn't get to choose. I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) Paul didn't choose. It wasn't his plan to serve the Messiah, to serve Jesus. His plan was to stomp out the name of Jesus. And one day God said, I can use this guy to reach the Gentiles. And he followed that all the way to prison on purpose. Knew he was heading to Jerusalem, that he was going to be incarcerated. He was going to be in prison. And he didn't care because God had told him to go. And he went and he was arrested and went. And he, at this point, he's sitting in Rome soon to be executed and he's writing letters to his church and and I want to just say talking about suffering some of the things that we feel like why has God allowed this we would be missing and I'm making I'm not sure if this is true but I'm going to say it anyway we'd be missing most of our New Testament if Paul wasn't imprisoned because Paul didn't have any time to write any letters to anyone because he was going throughout the region proclaiming the gospel and teaching to people every day. And not until Paul was in prison, chained to a guard 24 hours a day, which amazing. 24 hours a day, every four hours they rotated the guard that was chained to Paul. And Paul preached to every single one of them. And at the beginning of Philippians 1, it says that the whole guard knew why Paul was there, and of Jesus. So much so that even some of the royal family embraced the name of Jesus. Because Paul was in prison, writing to his church about joy. And so we're going to pick this up in verse 1, chapter 3 of Philippians. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I love this. (laughs) I feel like this sometimes. I feel like God does this to me sometimes. I feel like I do this to other people sometimes. It says, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. So basically saying, I've already told you this. Like we've talked about this. You know because we've talked about this, but it's no problem for me to write it to you again. I feel good about doing it because I love you. And it's good for you that you hear it again because evidently you didn't hear it the first time. And he's trying to get them to remember that your focus is Jesus. 
Not something else. And he, he's getting ready to talk about like some other things are coming into the church and distracting for Jesus. And he warns them in um, chapter 2, he says, Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Watch out for those who deal only with the outside. And happiness only deals with the outside. Happiness is just an experience that we get to experience on the outside. And so here's a group of well-meaning Jews who had experienced the hope of the resurrection, embraced Jesus, but wanted to keep their rules and laws. And we're going to the Gentiles and saying, hey, if you want Jesus, that's great, but you need to be circumcised. You need to do these things. And they'd already dealt with that in Acts Going, no, 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 no. This is all you need to do, people of God. And so he's saying, watch out for people who are only going to deal with the external. See, even in churches, our danger, and I, I did youth ministry for nine years, and in my danger as a youth pastor, and I dealt with this to an extent, is that I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm a horrible Holy Spirit. For one, I'm in one place at one time. For two, I'm not God. But I felt like if I could just say enough, if I could just do enough, that, you know, that my students would embrace Jesus and would follow, and if they were close to me, then, then they would do great. But I realized that it has nothing to do with me. See, if we only deal with the outside, if we only deal with what we see other people doing, we never ever get to see God work in them in real ways because we're trying to change the external when God's trying to grab something that will radically transform them. See, rules without relationship brings rebellion. See, Paul is saying, don't just get called up in this law because the law never worked before, but Jesus does. And then he goes on to say, you know, for those that you think are you are awesome and hyper-religious and you do everything correctly, Paul's going to basically smack all of those in your, you know, in your face. Um, in verse 3 it says, For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, it has nothing to do with the rules and it has everything to do with Jesus. And then verse 4, this is when he gets a little um, cocky and I don't want to say proud. I mean, I think Paul's going to be angry with me at one point. He'll probably forgive me, I'm sure, because he's in heaven. Uh, but I'm like more of a Peter guy because Peter does dumb things and, you know, God still loves them. Paul just seems too perfect for me. Like, I feel if Paul walked in the room right now, like every one of us would be like, I know I shouldn't have said it on Facebook the other day. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, here's Paul. Uh, verse 4, it says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Cocky, arrogant. Um, but it's all right. He brings it around. He's just like he's using it as a tool to pull people in. It says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as, as to the law, a Pharisee. 
Pharisees loved the law and they obeyed the law to a T. Still missed Jesus, but obeyed the law to a T. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. I can almost guarantee that no one woke up this morning going, under the law, blameless. Wife, look at me, under the law, blameless, under the law. Like, not under Jesus, but like under the law. Like, I have done everything. Like, the only person that really knows us well enough to know we can be, about said a word that could be taken another way, I'm just going to pull that back, Um, being, you know, whatever. Now that's all I can think of. Um, If we're not, and I'm not, because, you know, if it, anyway, sorry. But they know us. Like, they know that we aren't what we say. And here's Paul going, that I am blameless under the law. This is the guy who's writing this, who is in prison because of his faithfulness to Jesus. See, Paul's righteousness didn't save him, and neither will yours. See, that's where joy, see, part of our joy is this thing, like, if we can just read the one-year Bible every day, okay, I don't want to show a hands, but just in your mind, like, how many of you are behind a little bit, you know? Like, does that, does that judge you? Like, do you feel bad? Like, when I get behind a few days, like, I feel bad, and I do mine on the Bible online, so people know my father-in-law likes every time I finish, which is one of my elders. Like, I feel like <laughs> he knows that I haven't read today. Some of you are like, I'm never getting that app if they know when I haven't read. Anyway, Paul's righteousness didn't save him, neither will yours. Your perfect reading record, your perfect prayer life, your perfect serving life, your effort and energy here, the amount of money you just put in the basket went by, none of that is going to save you. None of that's going to bring you joy. Jesus alone brings us joy. And here Paul brings it back around in verse 7. It says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him. That's where our joy is. Nothing else matters. Not having a righteousness of my own. So Paul, you know, he was kind of putting it out there. And I believe he was probably very honest. He, to the letter of the law, he was probably blameless. But he's saying, even him, he said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Let me just squash another really bad theological thing that circles churches. The prosperity gospel. It's garbage. Like If you embrace Jesus because you want a bigger house or a better life, you missed Jesus. Period. 
Like, here's Paul, and I mean, Paul, go to Romans 8, too. He's the same thing there, you know, like, as, as long as I, like, we get the grace as long as we suffer with Christ, too. So if you're suffering, don't look at that suffering like God is punishing you. Look at that suffering like God is using you. See, we do not embrace Jesus for an easy life. We embrace Jesus for Jesus. Because if you look at his disciples, including Paul, they embrace Jesus greater than anyone in this room and died horrible deaths. Now, that's not a promise that I'm saying, hey, get saved today and you'll meet Jesus sooner. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that Jesus isn't our all-consuming genie that will give us what we desire. He is not our means to get happy. He is our means to be happy. I should write that down. That was pretty good. For Christ alone. See, this is what brings us joy. Jesus has done what we could not. He has set set us free so that we could run with endurance. The right race that he has called us to. And verse 12, it says... Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. And I believe this is the key for us to embrace the joy that God has for you. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um, I don't know if you guys watch animated movies or use your grandkids or kids as an excuse to watch animated movies. But you should watch Meet the Robinsons. It's a little bit older, but great movie. And who's seen Meet the Robinsons? Okay, man, you guys are hard crowd. Okay, so in in the movie, I, I see that hand. I like that. Okay, um, you should watch it. But in the movie, there's his future self, and his future self is telling him. Like, how did you overcome the failures? Because he failed over and over and over. And in this mantra, which I've used for years, every time I've met with somebody, was keep moving forward. Saints are just sinners who get back up. Like, so our joy is always going to be ahead of us, not behind us. Now, this does not mean that we do not deal with either damage that we've caused or things that have happened to us. But what this means is that if we're going to embrace the joy that God has for us, we have to move forward in it. This is what Paul is saying. He said, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. See, Jesus Part of your joy is going to be in embracing and moving the kingdom forward. Because there is nothing else. There is only one thing that is internal that we come in contact with every day. And that is the souls of man. No one is going to cherish your possessions when you leave. No one is going to be in heaven going, oh my gosh, you lived in that neighborhood. Oh my gosh, you had that house. Oh my gosh, you drove that car. How much money do you have in your bank? No one cares because it's gone. 
Like there is no U-Haul behind what you're taking. So embrace what is going to last forever. Which goes back to what kills our joy, which is people, which is part of our purpose. But we have to embrace that part of our joy, all of our joy, is going to be in Jesus. Period. And then we get even greater joy as we walk into what Jesus has called you to. And let me just tell you, not many of you has probably been called, I don't want to say any of you because some of you may, been called to do what I do. I wasn't felt, I didn't feel like I was called to do what I did for years. I ran from it. And God just has a, a tornado that brings you back into it. But every single person in this room has received, if you're a child of God, a calling and a purpose. And where you're going to, it says, his word says that we are his craftsmanship. And that he's prepared all these good works that we're going to walk into them. Like he's prepared things for you. And as you walk into those, we get to experience even greater joy because we get to introduce people into the source of joy. Romans 15, 13. This is my kind of prayer and hope for us is that May God, sorry, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, not doing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, here is the awesome part of what I'm talking about today. None of your circumstances, none of your people, none of your suffering has to change for you to walk out of these doors with joy. None of it. See, that's part of what we do as a church is we point ourselves back to the thing that gives us joy. And if you're not walking in joy, then somewhere out there, somewhere in you, you have placed your happiness on something that isn't the source. And God, I believe this morning, is telling all of us, He is telling me this is something I have to tell to myself over and over and over and over again. Is that, are you connected to the source? Is your purpose moving towards the source? Because if your life is horrible right now, because Paul was in prison, was going to be executed. He had been stoned. I mean, I'm telling you, I love, like they stoned him, drug, drug him out of the city, stoned him, left him there dead. The disciples came over and like, okay. Paul's like, what did he do? That joker got back up and went back into the city. Like this is the guy that we're, I mean, he's not just crazy. He's not some crazy, like camel hair wearing person. Like, he didn't do that. That was John the Baptist. But this is Paul, who was more concerned about what God has called him to than what is going on with him. Nothing in you has to change. And so I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. And what I want to do, there's two things that I believe that always are going on in any room. 
One of those may be that you're here today and you've never connected to the source. You've, you've played around the source. And let me just confess to you, I spent 18 years of my life playing around the source of God, playing church and being there. And if you asked me who my Savior was and how I was saved, I would give you all the correct information, but I missed the source. And so if you're here this morning, I don't care how long you've been around church, but you've never embraced the, the, the source, which is Jesus. Because Jesus' promise in John 10.10 10 is to give you life abundantly. And if that's not yours, maybe you connected to an idea and not a person. And so here, here's the simplistic version of salvation. You could not do what God requires of you to make yourself right with Him. You could not, ever, even on your best day. Paul could not do it. But God, knowing that, in mercy for you, as early as Genesis 3.15, He set a plan in motion to send His Son to come to this world, to put on flesh, to live the life that you are required to. To earn your salvation. And he did it for you. Willingly submitting himself to the weak hands of men. To be crucified. Dead. And buried for you. To pay the penalty for your sin. And then showed you three days later. What happens to those who die to sin. But are alive in Christ. And as we worship, if that's you in this room, cry out to a loving God that doesn't matter how many times that you have ran away and have come back. Let today be the day that you embrace Jesus. Have that moment today. And for everybody else in this room, if you love Jesus, but your joy is waning and your joy is hit or miss, realign, redefine what happiness is. Stop chasing something that will never satisfy you. And embrace Jesus. Let Him be the one that gives you the target to aim for. Stop trying to define what it means to be a good Christian and let Jesus rule and reign over you. So if you're here in this room what I would encourage you to do during this worship song is just be honest. Tell God that you are doing a horrible job trying to make yourself happy and that you want Him to take over that responsibility. And just see what happens. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom purpose. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in you there is life. In you there is a hope of the resurrection. In you there is righteousness, a free gift for us. And so as we worship, as we close, whether we need to embrace you as our Lord and Savior or we need to redefine our pursuit of happiness into a pursuit of joy, Lord, I pray that you would help us do what we could not do on our own right now. And so we pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the sea